Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. Uh, a couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, first of all, we are so glad you are here. Um, if you have not been for a while, please know that we do not collect offering at this time, but we do have a basket up here by the lectern if you'd like to give an offering following worship. Also, I am aware this chair is here. It is not a mistake. Uh, we'll talk about it soon. I don't want you to worry about that uh, for the next 15 minutes. And finally, uh, you may have seen some folks in the garden, and if you didn't, uh, I hope uh, you will go there yourself following this service. We are having our pictures updated for the church directory last week, this week, and next week, uh, following before and after both services. So, uh, Lindsay, I do this the other time, Lindsay will be taking pictures in the garden uh, for anyone uh, who's ready for an update. All you have to do is smile. All right? With all of that in mind, let's worship God.
Our opening scripture this morning comes to us from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that your spirit would descend upon us as we gather for worship this day. Still all voices inside of our minds and our heads, except for yours, and help us to be open and receptive this day to your word, that we might be shaped and formed through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's stand and sing our first sin, we deceive only ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, hears us in all mercy and righteousness. Let us confess our sins using the prayer printed in our bulletins. Let us pray. God of all space and time, you well know that we do not appreciate the time we have. Forgive us when we waste our days. Forgive us when we forget that all we have is yours. Include our time. Renew in us again an appreciation of our hours and of your work within those hours. We offer this prayer in the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen. Who is in a position to condemn? It is only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone, and the new life has come. Know that you are forgiven, and be at peace, and let us sing to God's glory. 
be seated. Let us pray. Lord, you are our rock and our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. And so we stand again on the foundation of your word to us, for we know that without you, which of us could stand at all? And so as we hear your word read again and proclaimed, open our ears and our eyes so that we hear your word to us. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Our first reading comes to us from Mark chapter 2, an incident that happened with Jesus and his followers on a Sabbath day. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? David entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. In our second scripture, we are continuing in the first book of the Bible, for our time this summer. We have been in chapter one so far, and today we tip right into the very beginning of chapter two. Listen for God's word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. As we've been looking at these Genesis texts these last few weeks, I hope one thing you have noticed is that every time God creates something in Genesis 1, God says, well, that's good. The well, I don't think, is in there, but I I put it, well, that is good. Light and dark, that's good, God says. Animals, birds in the air, beasts in the field, that's good, God says. Day after day after day, until on the seventh day, when God didn't create anything. And when God did not create anything, God stopped instead. And in the stopping, God said, now that, that is holy. And so as we remember these seven days described at the beginning of Genesis, the things of this earth are good. 
The trees and the seas, the people and the animals, they are good, God said so. But as good as they are, only one thing is holy. Only time is holy. God said so. God blessed the seventh day, and after blessing it, hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work he had done. Not only is time good, but time is holy. And we know the truth of this in our bones. I have, a, I have brought said rocking chair to set before you here this morning. Um, this chair comes from my house, although even my son said, where? Because that's how often we sit in it. But this chair is good. It rocks really smoothly. Any of you can try it after worship or, or during my sermon. And it is beautiful, I think. Its lines and coloring are beautiful. It is very good. But I don't have this chair, and I have not moved this chair across several states because it is good. I have moved it across several states. I keep it in my house even though no one sits in it because of the time that happened in it. It was my grandparents' chair at their home in Lexington, Kentucky, and I remember rocking in this chair on my grandpa's lap. Many, many scraped knees were kissed on this chair, and many tears were wiped away as I ran in sobbing over something my cousins had done to me that was horrible in this chair. So that's why I have this chair. Not because it is good, but because the time in it was holy. And you have something like that, too. Maybe in your life it is a chair of your own in, in a room. Maybe you sit in it every day, or it's a photo album, or a set of mixing bowls that were passed down to you, or a set of tools. Whatever it is, you hold on to it, not because it is good, but because of the time that it points to. You have that thing, too. Here at the culmination of all creation, the pinnacle of it all, God deems that time is sacred. Especially seventh day time, Sabbath time. And, and I want to point out, we're not talking about worship yet here in Genesis 2. No, no movement is made at all. No mention is made of going to worship on Sabbath. And I promise you, no mention is even in the footnote of like Sabbath blue laws. No alcohol or bingo or cards. None of that is mentioned yet. Sabbath is not even a noun yet. It's only a verb. Shabbat. To stop. Just stop. This is not an image of an exhausted God falling to the heavenly couch and needing to zone out on TV because the work has been so hard. No, this is God simply stopping. Creating this flow of six days of creating and then one of stopping. Creating, then stopping. Creating, then stopping. Both are important. Both are baked into creation itself, and the creating is good, the work is good, but the stopping is holy. 
Here's one you'll get a kick out of. There was an essay written by an economist named Keynes back in 1930, and in that essay in 1930, he predicted that we were becoming so efficient in our work that by the end of that century, we would only need a 15-hour work week. And we would have five-day weekends by the year 2000. That is what he predicted in 1930. And then he said, when that happens by the year 2000, we human beings will be faced, as he put it, with a real and permanent problem, how to live with leisure. Then, in the mid-1950s, a New York Times article echoed all of those predictions, and they said, you know what? By the 21st century, we won't base our lives on our work anymore because there'll be this much of it. Instead, we'll base our lives on our hobbies and our families. Well, as television's Dr. Phil would ask, how's that been working for us? That was the prediction, a 15-hour work week. What will we do with our leisure? Well, we know how it has worked out. Most Americans today are working far more hours than their forebears did in 1930 or in 1950 or in 1980. In fact, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, we actually are 400% more efficient in our work than we were in 1950 when that New York Times article was written. We are 400% more efficient in our work. But instead of working less, what have we done with all that free time? Added a little more work on top. Just so that you can uh, feel strange about this, I will quote to you that we Americans work about 137 hours more a year than our Japanese friends. We work about 260 more hours a year than they do in Britain, and I know this one will not surprise you, we work 499 more hours a year than the French. I mean, we knew that one was coming. But still, 499 more hours. We know how it has worked out. We feel in our bodies how it has worked out or how it is not working at all. God created for six whole days, and then he stopped. The work was good. The stopping was holy. There is something sacred in simply stopping. It is a gift that God gives to you. God explicitly uh, ties these two things together as his gift to us later in Deuteronomy 5. He says, you're going to have a day of a week every week when you stop because you were once slaves in Egypt, and I saved you from that slavery. So stop, cease, rest. That is the rhythm of your life. But we are not only slaves to our work, but when we're required to, it turns out we aren't even really good at doing the stopping thing once it's been forced upon us. You may have heard about the study that's become famous over the last few years. In it, uh, these scientists um, had people sit in an empty room alone. They only had to sit there for 15 minutes, 
15 minutes, no phone, no distractions, nothing to do. And they said, all we want you to do is sit here in stillness for 15 minutes. And if you cannot do that, you can give yourself an electric shock. And most people chose the shock. 25% of the women, in particular, chose to electric shock themselves, and 67% of the men. In fact, one uh, who I wish I knew his name, and I could write him a card at this moment, one man, I hope an outlier, he gave himself 190 shocks to get through the 15 minutes. 190 shocks was better than 15 minutes of stillness. And we know that we do this in all sorts of creative ways. Rather than stop, rather than be still, we'll drink, or we'll become addicted to drugs, or, or we will just never stop because that might mean we're dead, or we'll look on our phone or we'll turn on the TV, whatever it takes to not have to stop. Electric shock, electric shock, electric shock. But the 15 minutes is a gift. The day is a gift. The time is a gift that God has given to each of us. Each day when God creates, not only does God say, that's good, that's good, that's good, but have you ever noticed what God's day looks like? It's repeated over and over on each day. It was evening, and it was morning, a day. It was evening, and it was morning, a day. Not, it was morning, up with the sun, ready to beat the bushes and get all that work done. But no, evening first, then morning. That's a day for God. Stop. While we are resting away the evening and we sleep it through, God is providing the provision we need. God is working and creating, and that's where the day begins, not with our own work, not with our own toil. It is evening first, then morning. Work is good. It is very good. But stopping is holy. And I know for many of us, even the image of this rocking chair is one of our greatest fears. We even have this in our language to each other, right? We say, don't you put me in that rocking chair in that rest home. Did you hear that, rest home? God forbid I end up in a rocking chair on a rest home. Put out to pasture, the need for my work coming to an end, that is our worst fear, some of us. And on this day when we honor fathers, I see you out there, we know that it can be a particular affliction that we have placed upon men. 67% of them gave themselves the electric shock, remember? So whiling away in the rocking chair, it can fill us with some dread. It was certainly my own grandpa's fear. He was a pharmacist who loved his work. He was also a man who was addicted to it. He worked 12 and 13 hour days, six days a week for most of his life, and he did not stop until he was in his mid-80s. 
and much of that work was good. Of course it was. It was good for him. It provided for his family. But what remains for me of his life, what is sacred about his life, is the time that he spent with me in that chair. So if this is where your life is, if work has a hold of you in whatever its form is, there are not many voices who are going to tell you to stop. Your neighbor is not going to tell you. Your boss is not going to tell you. Even your family may not tell you, but there is one. There is one voice, and it should hold sway. God says to you, stop. Because when you stop, you get a small taste of Eden. Work hard, yes, but stop. Because when you stop, you get a taste of that abundant life that God wants for you. It is a gift that God gives to each of us today, written into the foundations of creation. It is a gift, and it is a sacred responsibility. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, and merciful God, we come before you this day as your servants, your disciples, and your children. During these days, help us to be faithful to you in all that we do. Help us to love you with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to let go of that which tethers us to this world and help us to embrace our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. As we do this, remind us daily of the role that sacred and holy rest plays in our faith in the understanding that we will never finish. We will never complete our work. Perfection is beyond our grasps. And therefore we shall rest in the midst of our work, in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our frustrations, in the midst of our angers, in the midst of our fears. We shall rest and help us to embrace this holy and sacred time, and to create space anew in our lives to live and embody our faith. As we do this, we are mindful of those in our community, in our nation, and in our world for whom there is no rest, for whom to toil and struggle is a daily part of their existence who subsist from day to day based only on the sweat of their brow and the bend of their back, we pray for them in particular this day. Those who so desperately need a moment of peace, of respite, of rest. 
And as we do this, we are mindful also of those whom we love who are in need of your healing touch in their lives this day. And we take this time now to offer to you our prayers for particular people and situations. Holy God, as we live our days, help them to be shaped by gratitude. Help us to always remember the ways in which you have blessed us, blessed us through the gift of faith, whether it be large or small, blessed us through the gift of brother and sister in Christ, blessed us through the gift of church, of spirit, of Savior. We remember these blessings this day, and we offer them to you in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings we have received in our lives, and we return our humble tithes and offerings to you, that they may be used for your glory in this place and throughout your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the love of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once more into these doors. The peace of Christ be with you. Please greet one another in his name. 